0: Good morning. Um, For those of you that don't know, before worship service every Sunday, we have Sunday school at 9 o'clock. I teach a class for young adults and young families, so if you're one of those, please come join us. It's called Open Space. It's down the hallway that way. But there's also a few other classes that meet at that time. Uh, It's a way to connect, get to know other people, and just kind of share... Life together, And for more information on those Sunday school classes, just find Angela or me or Matt after the service or email us or whatever. Uh, a week or two ago in, in in my Sunday school class, I just asked around the room, hey, what is your faith background? Like what church denomination or culture did you grow up in? And can you remember a particular point of emphasis in that church culture that you grew up in? Uh, now, I grew up Southern Baptist and the particular culture I grew up in had a strong emphasis on Scripture. Uh, learning about Scripture, memorizing Scripture, is really an emphasis on kind of head knowledge about God, um, kind of an intellectual approach to faith. Uh, some of the people in the, in the Sunday school class here uh, grew up at Asbury, and they said growing up at Asbury, they felt the particular point of emphasis was missions, serving other people, serving their community. They mentioned going to, to Arizona uh, and, and, and serving Serving in New, Me- New Mexico, Arizona. Arizona, I was right. Okay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's the same place. You know. um, <laughs> it's hot. Both it's, hot well, it's hot here too, man. Yeah, sorry. The people that grew up at Asbury uh, said they felt the emphasis for Asbury was missions, serving their community. Uh, someone else in, in the room grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal type environment, and the emphasis for that community was emotional worship kind of trusting your gut, trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you in all things. And there was emphasis maybe on emotions in that culture, in that environment. Someone else grew up in a small church in Virginia, and they said that that church felt like family. It felt like community, and that the emphasis was just being a part of, of this community. So depending on the church you grew up in, domination-wise, or the, the culture itself of that specific church, you might have felt a different part of faith was emphasized or highlighted or focused on. Like for me, it was... Memorization of Scripture might have been a thing that we, we focused on. and It's interesting as we kind of look throughout church history. We had the, the Reformation over 500 years ago, and there's this splintering that kept happening over the past few centuries where churches began to break off and break off and break off from each other over doctrinal issues or belief issues. But as those churches splintered off, um, those beliefs also kind of shaped the culture. And so certain churches may focus on intellect. Some may focus on the leadership of the Holy Spirit and maybe a more emotional thing. Others may focus on on service. And as I thought about that, just eclecticness of the church experience, I thought, what would it look like for faith communities to incorporate all of those things, to be about all of those things? And I was reminded in in Scripture when Jesus was approached by a lawyer that asked him, Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he talked about a faith that was all-encompassing, that a love for God impacts every area of life. And when Jesus kind of gave that answer and he gave that command, he was referencing the Old Testament shema word. And the word shema in Hebrew just means to listen. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, which we'll look at in a second. And when when he quotes The Shema, you need to understand that the Jewish people of his day, and even some today, this was a verse that they prayed every day. And it's this prayer of listening. It's a foundational verse. And in the context of Deuteronomy, it kind of starts off the law. And so when, when, when Moses, whoever wrote Deuteronomy, starts off Deuteronomy 6, he's about to lay out what it looks like to love God in all aspects of life specifically like what it looks like to love your neighbor or to love people with taxes, to love people with, with, with marriage and with death and with revenge, and all these, all these specific laws that make up the book of Deuteronomy. But the foundation of all those specific laws is this foundational law, which is to love God with everything. So he says in Deuteronomy, Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, Jesus in the New Testament added the word mind to this, but let's just focus on the Old Testament for now. What does it look like to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? And what I would say up front is these are really bad translations. We really kind of blew it with the English translation of these words because they mean something completely different here. Now, when, when, when the Old Testament talks about heart, it's the Hebrew word lev. And what it means is everything inside of you, your entire internal life. Not only your heart, like your emotions, but also knowledge and wisdom. Also, emotions and desires, fears and instinct. So to love God with your heart, as we translate it, to love God with all of your love, means everything inside of you. Your knowledge, your emotions, your fears, your desires, all of that should be in submission to God. Love God with everything that is within you. That's heart. Now, the next thing he says is to love God with all your soul, and that's the Hebrew word nephesh. Now, when we think of soul in 21st century America, we think of like the little ghost thing that when you die, leaves your body and goes up into heaven, I guess. But that concept of soul or idea of soul doesn't even exist in the Old Testament, and I would argue it's not really clear in Scripture at all, in the New Testament either. We think of soul, we think of the little ghost that escapes when we die. When the Hebrews talked about nefesh, they meant your literal physical body. So if you saw like an animal dying on the on, on the side of the road or its body on the carcass on the side of the road, that was that animal's nefesh. It's its physical body. So Deuteronomy says, love God with everything that's inside of you. Love. And then love God with everything that is you, your body. We translate that as soul. And then lastly, love God with all of your strength or all of your might. And we think about that, we think of like Samson or Hercules or the rock or something like that. But the the word strength here is is a really bad translation. It's the Hebrew word miyad. And it literally means whatever flows out of your life. The literal translation means abundance or very or much. But in the context of this verse, it means what flows out of you. So when Deuteronomy starts off with the Shema word, the foundational commandment of Scripture, we translate it as love God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. But a more accurate translation is, love God with everything that is within you, love God with everything that is you, and love God with everything that flows out of you, your entire being. And what I mean with flowing out of you, I mean your influence, your resources, your relationships, kind of the, the world around you. Uh, the writer of Deuteronomy is saying, Love God with all those aspects of your life, too. Every aspect of your life should be aligned and in tune with the love of God. Everything inside of you, everything that is you, and everything that flows out of you. Now this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time focusing on what goes on inside of you. Love heart. Now as humans, we interchangeably use the words like heart to to mean our emotions, or our, our gut to mean our instinct, or you use your brains to mean to use our, our intellect. Matt prayed in his prayer just a second ago, God, use our hearts for you, right? Our, our affections, our desires. We, we interchangeably use like, heart to mean emotions. But if you step back and think about it for just a moment, that's not really what the heart and gut biologically do, right? The heart pumps blood throughout your entire body. That's great. That's important. We need that thing to live, But the heart itself the organ of the heart is not where your emotions reside and your gut does a lot of important things i think it does digestive stuff right it's important to live you need that thing to be working but it's not literally where your instinct lies so when we say that person's got a ton of heart or they they they, they, i went with my gut we use language like that what we really mean is we used our brain but different parts of our brain And, and neuroscience has kind of begun to unpack how, when we use heart, gut, and and brain, or heart, gut, and mind, how the different parts of our brain are actually kind of control centers for those parts of our lives. Paul McLean was a a psychiatrist, a a doctor in the 50s and 60s, and he came up with this idea of the triune brain. And it's kind of been refined over time as we've gotten more and more evidence of how science uh, works, how the brain works. We've kind of refined that idea, but it came from McLean, the triune brain model. So I want to talk a little bit about that. What does it look like to love God with our entire brain? Now, the first part of our brain that gets formed is known as the basal ganglia. And I, I may not be pronouncing that right. That's okay. You've heard of it probably as the reptile brain. It's what happens when we get really worked up and we go into fight or flight or freeze mode. It's our reptile brain. It's, um, it's our what we would call our gut. It's the, the subconscious, just immediate reaction gut instinct that we have. It's the instinctual part of our brain. It, it also is o- an automated part of our brain that, that does... Um, it tells us when we're hungry. tells us when we're thirsty. It, 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 it lets us know about our sexual desire. But its primary function is to let us know if we're safe. It's constantly on alert. It's constantly afraid. And it's constantly asking the question, am I safe? The primary focus of this part of our brain is survival. The next part of our brain you've probably heard of is called the limbic system, and you could call it the mammalian part of, your, of the brain, or what we would often call the heart. It's where our emotions and our memories lie. It's the intuitive part of our brain, and it's called the mammal brain because mammals, which we are, uh, can't survive without being safely attached to an adult when we're infants. So when, we're born, when we come out of the womb, we have to be connected and cared for by an older Adult, And the mammal part of our brain, the mammalian part of our brain, the, the limbic system is focused on attachment and connections and relationships, emotions, memories. And the, and the primary question that it asks is, am I loved? Its primary focus is belonging. And then the last part of our brain that's, that's been developed is the neocortex, the mind. The intellectual part of our brain. Now, this part of the brain doesn't become fully formed in adult males until their mid-20s. For, for women, late teens, I didn't make the rules, that's just how it breaks. <laughs> but this part of our brain isn't fully developed until we're adults. And if you have had kids, this makes so much sense. Because when your kids are having a meltdown, they're freaking out, they're yelling, they're fighting, they're screaming, and you are trying as the mature adult to rational, rationalize with them, to, to, to make things make sense, to be logical with them, it just doesn't work. Because that part of the brain isn't even fully operational yet. They're just thinking from their gut and they're just thinking from their from their emotions. And as a as a as a father of four daughters, ten and under, this is my life. Constantly trying to be rational and always losing. The limbic system. It's where our attachments are formed. We ask, am I loved? Do I belong? The neocortex has a different question here. And I've wrestled with what the question would be for the neocortex, for our intellect. But the question here is, do I matter? Does my life matter? Can I make sense of all these things and make a difference in my world? Our primary focus is meaning. Now these three parts of our brain are the control center of everything that we do. What we think, how we feel, what we say, all of these things are controlled by this control center, by our brain. It's our heart and our gut and our mind working together. These three different parts of our brain always working in conjunction. And they're always negotiating. They're always trying to make sense of things. And sometimes, one part of the brain is in the driver's seat. Other times, other parts of the brain are in the driver's seat. And there's just constant negotiation going on of, of who's in control. And the question I have is, I think about these different parts of our brain and, and how they, they seek to find safety, and seek to find belonging, and seek to find meaning, is, as I follow Christ, how do I make sure that all parts of my life, my interior life, my heart, gut, and mind, my three parts of my brain, how do I make sure those things are all aligned with the kingdom of God? How do I know what's in the driver's seat at different times of my life? And some of you might think, like I once did, that, you know what, I'm not really an emotional person. Like, emotions don't dictate much of my life. I'm just a logical adult. And growing up in the South, being a guy, that for sure was what I was taught. Just don't let your emotions impact you. I remember a few years ago, I was in this kind of group therapy training session, really for a couple of years. It was really transformative. Um, But the the idea was to train you how to be better communicators and counselors and listeners. And that training that took place over a couple of years was all women and me. Just coincidentally, I was the only guy in the room. And I remember over time just watching these women really be, bear their souls and be vulnerable and be emotional. And I, as just myself, this isn't even a guy thing, I hadn't cried at that point. I hadn't cried in like 20 plus years because of childhood trauma. and There's all sorts of stuff I've kind of learned since then. But for a long time, I never cried. And I was like, I don't know if that was a source of pride for a while. I should have realized that was something wasn't right, but I'm in this room with women that are very emotionally in tune with themselves and, and, and crying often. I remember towards the end of the first year kind of reflecting on that with the group and saying, this has been such a wild experience. Like, I'm not an emotional person, so it's been really interesting to, to see people be emotional because I'm not around that very often. Like, I don't let my emotions control me, and the, the therapist in the room, the counselor's a friend of mine, she's like, you don't think you're an emotional person? I was like, oh no, no. She's like, so anytime things get emotional, you shut down. Anytime things get emotional, you, you change the subject, or you want to get out of the room. You get uncomfortable. And, and how you act in the room is, is just, you're closed off. Like, okay, yeah, I, I agree with those assessments. She says, so in what way do you not think your emotions are controlling you? They're forcing you out. Uh, we are all emotional creatures. We are all people who long for safety, who long for belonging, and long for meaning. And and the the walk of Christ to love God with our heart and our strength and our soul, our mind, is to learn how to integrate all these different aspects of our life, to kind of know what it looks like to love God with these different parts of, of our mind and our being. The most given command in Scripture is do not be afraid. And the reason God tells us that over and over to not be afraid is because He is with us. So is it important that the part of our mind that gets afraid is in tune with God? Of course. God tells us over and over, and over again, do not be afraid. Why? Because we're often afraid. And when we're afraid, we act out of alignment with what God wants for us. Fear drives us to a lot of destructive and dumb things. So God is constantly reminding us, do not be afraid. And we're asking God, am I safe? Is this world safe? And God never says, Hey, don't be afraid because the world is safe. He never says that. The world is dangerous. It's good and it's beautiful, but it's also dangerous. And I'm not telling you to not be afraid because the world's safe. I'm telling you to not be afraid because I am with you. So when we try to get this, this primal part of our mind in line with God's kingdom, it's this fight to believe that we are safe and secure because God is with us. Am I safe? The next question we always ask is, do I belong? Am I loved? One of the most prominent messages in Scripture is God loves you. He pursues you. And as we wrestle with insecurity about, am I truly loved? Do I truly belong in this world? God is pursuing us and saying, yes, you are loved. You do belong. There's a part in Scripture I love when Paul is very honest. He says, the things I don't want to do, I keep doing. And the things that I do want to do, I, I don't do. And he's like, I'm torn, I feel like I'm torn in half. And a part of what he's saying is the part of my, of my brain that knows the right thing to do never seems to win. I always seem to give in to other parts of my desires or longings or fears. I know the right thing to do, but I can't do it. Why? Because his, his neocortex knows intellectually. He knows He's memorized the law. He's a great teacher. He knows all the right things in his head. But he still finds himself at odds, wrestling with what's going on in other parts of his life. He's afraid, he's insecure, he's trying to belong, he's trying to find identity. And even though he knows the right thing, he constantly finds himself out of alignment with that. And I really love that wrestling from Paul in in the book of Romans when he says that, because I can identify with that. And it's a great question to ask when, why do I keep doing the things that I know intellectually aren't right? Could it be because I have insecurity about my safety, because I'm afraid, could it be because I, I so desperately want to belong and to find a people that I, I belong with that I'll sacrifice what I know to be right in order to belong? Uh, the pursuit of Christ is learning how to align these different parts of our mind and our being into uh, submission and to love of God. And so as we kind of close, I just want to ask this last question. What part of your mind do you have the hardest time aligning with your faith? What part of your mind do you have the hardest time aligning with your faith? Do you constantly find yourself afraid and in in, in a state of anxiety? Do you constantly find yourself feeling isolated or wondering if you belong? Or do you have a hard time with the rational side of things and saying, is this true and can I find meaning in this world? So what part of your life feels most out of alignment with loving God? And what would it look like to be aware of that and to pursue growth in that? Uh, We're going to sing a song uh, on acoustic and just kind of have that song as a prayer over us that God pursues us with his great love. But I'll pray for us first. Let's pray.